I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening to the Livewire podcast. We want to make this the best podcast in the world, my friends, and we want you to help with that by going to our podcast survey, which is over at livewireradio.org slash survey. You can tell us what you like about the podcast, what you uh, wish we would do, what you wish we wouldn't do. Uh, Just help us make this thing really, really good by filling out our survey. And we've got some cool thank you prizes and other things to uh, show our appreciation for your time. This episode of Livewire originally aired May 16th of 2015. Enjoy. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Livewire Radio. We're backstage at Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon. We have a great show for you coming up. We've got music from Eyelids. We've got the very funny Jackie Cation here. And this guy, a hero to fans of television and podcasting, Mr. Dan Harmon himself. Hey, buddy. The theme of this hour is uh, square pegs, um, because a lot of the stuff that you've written about in the past is about kind of being an outsider, but now you're a big-time TV writer. Do you no longer feel like a person who doesn't fit in? No, I don't, actually. I've achieved success at being a misfit because, thankfully, the square peg is the new thing. The square peg is the new round peg, yes. It's ridiculous to say, but that is truly what it is. But if what drove you was a feeling of being on the outside, and now you're very much on the inside of a certain movement. Are you going to get soft? I'm way soft. I'm way past being soft. Are you kidding me? That's the American dream, is to become a big, fat jerk. Everyone should live to see that day. That's a hell of a sales pitch for the next hour of public radio we're about to go make. Let's head out on that stage right now. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with community creator Dan Harmon, stand-up comic Jackie Cation, with music from Eyelids, and our fabulous house band. And now the host of Livewire, no one's ever made not fitting in look so good, Luke Burbank! Thank you, Jason Rouse. Thank you, everybody, for coming out here to Revolution Hall in Portland. We've got a great show for you. Right at the top, though, we would like to give a special shout-out to the listeners of Maine Public Radio, which is now carrying Livewire. That's right. Livewire now joins a broadcast lineup that also includes a show called Maine Things Considered, a show called Maine Calling, 
And of course, the Maine Calling Book Club. And who can forget Speaking in Maine? <laughs> Things that are not public radio shows in Maine, but I think should be, include a show called Maine Squeeze, which is about identifying the best plums when you go to the farmer's market, and a show called Barely Maintaining, which would be about my drinking. Um, so hey, everybody in Maine, thanks for tuning in. That's right. We've got a great show for you. We have teamed up this episode with the Bridgetown Comedy Festival right here in Portland, Oregon, which each year brings in amazing uh, comics. The theme this hour uh, we're going with is Square Pegs because a couple of our guests, we've got Dan Harmon, the creator of Community, and um, Jackie Cation, who does a really great podcast called The Dork Forest. They've, they've both made uh, a lot of their comedy about the idea of being a square peg, about not fitting in. And I was thinking about that idea this week because there is a place that I've never felt really like I fit in, and that place is known as Facebook, uh, also known as the suburbs of the Internet. Um, and I think it's because I look at what people are posting and I just think, what is wrong with you? It's pretty much... Someone I went to high school with who's now posting about how the Obamunists are taking all of the guns away. <laughs> except for at gay weddings where they're actually arming the grooms just to mess with faith, flag, and freedom-loving Americans. Or it's like a, a couple that's having a baby and they want to tell you what gender the baby is going to be, but they can't just tell you it's going to be a girl. So they have to get like in a hot air balloon and then they have a cake that's made in the shape of a stork and they have to drop it at a target in the middle of a field that's surrounded by their family. And if the cake breaks open and the inside is pink, it means that I hate them. Um, um, I want to also mention to Maine Public Radio that if you want to rethink this whole thing, um, that's cool. Um, so I, I, I realized that like, I have just for now years of my life been just scrolling through Facebook, looking at this stream of information and not really enjoying it, but doing it because without it, I would just be sitting alone with my thoughts and feelings. <laughs> and ain't nobody got time for that, right? So last week, had a couple glasses of wine. I was feeling impulsive and I deactivated my Facebook account, which was actually kind of scary. It was like I was lowering a pillow over an old, weak friend <laughs> who I kind of hated. Why are you doing this, Luke? Uh, but like, the second that the account was deactivated, it was, I felt this lightness pass through me, like, oh my God, I'm free. Like, I don't have to patrol this thing to untag myself from photos where... Because from some angles, I look weirdly like Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, and not like young, cool Eleanor Roosevelt, like old Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, or I don't have to see posts from my Uncle Mike about the New World Order, and I don't mean the wrestlers, I mean the like end times conspiracy theory. So once I was detached from Facebook, I was feeling really good. I was looking at people who were on Facebook, like in a restaurant. You see people scrolling through, and I was just like, 
you pathetic sheeple. You guys are just trapped, man, in a prison of your mind called Facebook. And I'm like, just living life. And then yesterday was my birthday. And, um, and I woke up and I was like, time to feel the love. Time to have a lot of people who I barely know take one second out of their life to write happy birthday on my wall. And I looked at my phone and just a tumbleweed blew across the screen. And I started to really rethink Facebook because it kind of, it, I have to say, I like that feeling of people saying happy birthday to me. And, and I started to kind of re-examine the whole thing. And I thought, yeah, okay, Facebook has annoying people on it, but the real world has annoying people on it too, right? So maybe the deal with Facebook is to just, like in real life, uh, go towards the things that are good and like block the things that are bad. So after uh, some consideration, and because I have my phone with me on stage, because of course I do, I thought I would just reactivate my Facebook page. And I don't, if you guys are okay with this, you guys just give me a minute here. Okay. Back on. You guys, it doesn't, it doesn't have gluten in it. It's all right. It's okay, everybody. I'm logging in. You gotta be kidding me, Uncle Mike. All right. That's it. I'm shutting this thing down. I'm staying off, actually. That's better. You know, let's get going with the show. We have some interesting people we want to talk to. Starting with Dan Harmon, the creator, writer, producer of Community. It's a show that expanded the boundaries of sitcoms and just how meta a show can be with the episodes featuring alternate timelines, characters clearly aware they're inside a sitcom format, and a paintball episode that rivals a John Woo film. The show immediately garnered a cult following and has kept it for six seasons. In addition to the show, you can also hear what goes on inside Dan's brain on the live podcast Harmontown and now see it in the Harmontown documentary. Plus, you can see him right here, right now on Livewire. Please welcome Dan Harmon to the show. I like the word rivals. It rivals a John Woo film because you can rival something and never hold a candle to it. That's like... I, I've rooted for a lot of sports teams that thought they had a rivalry with a different <laughs> yeah. team, but then someone once said a hammer and a nail don't have a rivalry. <laughs> yeah, my, my wardrobe rivals Ewan McGregor <laughs> right now. He just doesn't know about it or care, yeah. right? Welcome to Portland. How, how's it going so far? It's going... Oh God, are you kidding me? Don't get me started. We'll be here forever. That's good. That's how much time we've blocked out for this show, forever. I'm trying to coin the syndrome where a Los Angeles person comes to Portland, and I think, I think it's either like Westworld syndrome or Crichton syndrome. It's something to do with the idea that you become incredulously rageful about the serenity here. <laughs> you, you start disbelieving that it can be this cool and start looking for panels like you're like Iceman. Like, where's the faucet? Where's the, where's the trick? I'm going to make these people racist. <laughs> Anyone can be racist. <laughs> I, I want to I talk about community because we have uh, a lot of fans of community here in the theater and listening out in Radio Land. Um, terrible people, terrible people. 
it's such a great show, and there's so many amazing uh, sort of nuanced and self-referential moments and things. I'm wondering, were you just doing battle, particularly when you're on network television, were you doing battle the whole time with the executives? Because they must have wanted you to broaden it out all the time, right? Yeah, for the best intent, uh, reasons. I mean, they, they, Sony, for instance, is in the business of making Seinfeld. And if you let them uh, help you make Seinfeld, everyone wins. Uh, it's just that my show wasn't Seinfeld. And, and, and NBC is in the business, was in the business when I joined them of making The Office. And they wanted the show to be more like The Office. And if I had let them, we could have won. But then that guy got fired, and then that guy got fired, and then that guy got fired. So NBC was like War of the Roses the entire time I was there, there was always a new boss. It's like, hi, my name's Peter Johnson. His throat would get slit on the phone. Uh, Peter Johnson doesn't exist. This is Santa Claus. Uh, your new job, Cole. Uh, why Cole, Santa? Don't you hate that? Um, no, I give it to bad people. You should see it's Q rating. <laughs> Is that a thing they say in TV? And so you're like, you, have, you have Sony the whole time, which is really the constant enemy. And by the way, I want to stress, Sony fired me. They're, I mean, they're the, they're the codependent relationship that it will never end. I love right. them. I'll always be with them. They fired me. They rehired me. NBC is just like, you know, it's not, it's not Peter Pan. Get rid Sony's of it. Because Sony's the production company and, and NBC is the network? Yeah. Is that the... Sony's the... The, the juggernaut that makes TV and gives it to the planet. You know, they make their money if your show gets syndicated. When you describe NBC them that way, money. they sound like the at the end of Aliens when the alien is just. <laughs> They are the Watani Corporation. That is what Sony is. They they're like they make shake and bake planets. Like that is what they are. They're the but I love them in air quotes. Like and they love me in air quotes. Like we love each other in air quotes because like they are making money if your show has cultural efficacy in the long term. NBC is making money if people a lot of people watch your show on Thursday night. So, so there's yeah. a difference between a network right. and a studio. Right. So when your network cancels you, that's not as much getting fired as when your studio fires you. Huh. Um, but when they rehire you, that's the real compliment because uh, they're like, well, we tried. Come <laughs> back. And what's, then you're like, what's your mood and, and sort of physical affect in that meeting when they're re-signing you? Are you just... Never like had feet. one. They, you know, you never have that conversation because who wants to have that conversation? You don't, don't get to lord it over them when, when they bring you back. Yeah, nor do I want to hear them explain to me in their suit ease why they fired me because <laughs> it's not going to be honest. It's going to make me feel bad. So I w we were both very happy to like not talk about it. It was so a it perfect really relationship. Is. I, it I, is. They, they said, like, come back. Okay. <laughs> perfect. Capitalism little, is healthy in like a weird, unhealthy way. The little like kind of depression in the couch where you used to sit is just still there. Yeah. <laughs> just or like in, back my, in. In, my, in my house, there was like a fist hole at every height uh, uh, <laughs> as you were growing up. Like, I'm a man now. Here's my fist hole. And it's like, you know, dis I dysfunctionality hear more about that. has a... But, but, but wait, Dan Harmon, creator of Community and Harmontown Podcast. We've got to take a quick break. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. Back in a moment. This podcast is brought to you by ErgoDepot.com, who are not kidding around when it comes to making you healthier. There are healthier ways to sit, and they've got them all. Sit, stand, seating, saddle seats, kneeling chairs. If you've got to sit, shouldn't you sit healthier? We sure think so. Find out more by visiting ErgoDepot.com. All right, welcome back. 
This is Live Wire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. We're talking to Dan Harmon, creator of the TV show Community, and also the uh, person behind uh, one of the persons behind the Harmontown podcast, which is a wonderful thing. Can you explain for those who maybe haven't heard it what a, what a typical episode of Harmontown might involve? Oh, it's honestly, it's always it has to just be me getting up in front of a microphone and I drink and I talk. That's all it is. <laughs> With some D&D, right? Oh, yeah. And of that, organic things come. So it's become like a town hall meeting. So, like, you're more of a chill guy. If somebody in this audience started yelling out something, like, they would get tased. Like, yeah. because you have a schedule to keep. They're and... all sitting on tasers, and they don't know it. In the, uh, in the Harmontown audience, like, this tradition started happening where, well, if somebody's particularly antsy, if I'm, like, ranting about how I hate Superman, oh, Superman's a bad superhero, he's, like, entitled, and he's a histrionic demagogue, and, um, you know, and there might be a guy in the front row who's, like, he just, he's, like, no, but that's not, you know, and if he gets really antsy, I'll bring him up, and he's, the, the, through the stand-up view, for very good reasons, when an audience member has that much power, it's synonymous with failure. The show is failing. This guy has right. the mic, and you're like not talking anymore. That's terrible. At Harmontown's more of a town meeting motif, so it's like, as long as you're not just some Yahoo that, uh, well, that's, that shouldn't be a bad word. Yeah, we should I, I, mention. I'm tired of Yahoo community. being used to mean bad yeah. person. That's yeah. derogatory. It's, it can it's mean time for that to stop. Important place for a show to continue its important work. Absolutely. <laughs> It can be repository of knowledge. Yeah. Um, but if there's some knucklehead... They did have a yodeler for their... For their, uh, you know... Kept, if if there's some, on. what I call a Microsoft Bing that comes up on yeah. stage, some useless piece yeah. of garbage that yeah. will never have any value to any stockholder. Um... Uh, if they just want fame, if that's all they want, and sometimes they admit that, sometimes, they, sometimes you can hear them come to that wall, and they go, because you're like, why are you up here? And, and sometimes they're like, I just thought I wanted to, you just wanted to be on stage, and it's not quite enough. Like, you're on stage now, but, so that's happened, so now go sit back down. And it's, it, 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 but, but that doesn't happen a lot. It's usually, it's, so you walk away with this like life-affirming feeling of like, oh, I've been trained by one-way transmissions to believe that interactivity is the death of entertainment. Because um, all of you want to be voyeurs. You don't want to pressure on you. You don't want to be told by a roller coaster right before it goes up the first hill. By the way, you're in charge. Um, <laughs> bad roller coaster. Um, you want to kind of be buckled in and for the most part take part. But you... but. If you just, you know, if somebody goes like, hey, listen, I, you've been shouting the word lesbian for 20 minutes. I'm a lesbian. Can I say something? And then it's like, okay, lesbian, talk. And I missed that episode where you just shouted <laughs> lesbian for oh, 25 boy, minutes. I, ooh, I, I, it's the liberals that cut it out. Um, <laughs> I love shouting the word lesbian. Why did I use that example? It doesn't make any sense. But, but, but. Uh, it, 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 yeah, that's what it is. I'm, I'm not a stand-up. I don't have an act. So I, I don't know. I can't remember when Paula Poundstone had her uh, talk show. She was, I think that was part of her thing. She would just have like firefighters and shoemakers would like come up on stage and she'd talk to them. And um, it's an NPR vibe. So if you're yeah. listening, listen to the show. Yeah. It, well, you know what I think this show, as, as you said, and it's also very much demonstrated in the documentary Harmontown is the the sort of community element of it, the way that the show 
speaks to people who have felt, I mean, the theme of our show this hour is square pegs. There's so many people that are fans of Harmontown, and you see them in the documentary lining up and coming out and hugging you, and everyone has a story about how the show affected their life. Yeah, can and, I give you a note? Like, you shouldn't have the theme of square pegs. Like, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. We're kind of, we're... You want we're, more? We're, so, yeah, I we're think sort you, of pot committed at this point on no, that theme. I just—it's not going to work. What's not, a better theme? We, we, round we, pegs? We, round pegs would work better. It's—it's it's, it, it, pegs are supposed to be round. So, next time you do a show, just, this is why you're a high-power TV creator. I have learned, I have learned from decades host. of notes from suits. Like, yeah, you want to make those pegs round, buddy. We've really got to rethink what we've been doing on this program. Dumb show. Dumb show. You're all watching a dumb show. Thanks for standing in line. You realize this is radio, right? Oh, there's no one here? <laughs> you said they were all watching a dumb show, and I just want to make oh, sure they're that... they're watching it. Stop. You're talking to the live audience here. Oh, yeah. When you do Harmontown, you talked about how you just basically get on stage, you have a microphone, drink some alcohol. One of the things that happens in the documentary is you run into some moonshine... <laughs> And you go over the moon yeah. with your shine. Yeah. What do you... Uh, this is a serious question. How do you describe your relationship with alcohol? I, very interesting question. Do you have... F Forever. A, a radio station and, like, all of time? I... I, I uh, it, it, it's a strange, like, Alice in Wonderland... Like, I, I sometimes think that when I'm drunk... I'm the real me because my honest life is filled with anxiety. I, I, I feel like I'm a publicist for an animal that hates God and <laughs> that God loves and that, and that makes all of my money and that makes everyone happy. When I'm sober, I feel like what I am is this sad, spineless, nervous publicist for the client who is this horrible unmitigated person who can't take notes and who can't be told, he can't be leveraged. And that's why he makes himself and everyone around him happy. It's a dangerous thing to think that when you're drunk, you're you. That's very dangerous. What does it feel like when you're drunk other than you feel more your, what you think might be yourself? Is it just euphoric? Is it that you're no, not stressing? No, it, feels like, it feels like the obliteration of the restraint. It feels like when you're you there's buckles and straps that are straining you. So when you're sober, you're thinking, uh, why am I using the universal you? Like, if I just say I, I'm in a therapy session. That's yeah. a, uh, let me explain how you yeah. operate when you're a functional alcoholic. Uh, this entire show is covered under HIPAA. <laughs> so don't worry, none of this can get out. I feel... Uh, without having truly confronted it, and I'm in therapy and couples therapy and all this stuff and working through this stuff now, but uh, I currently have this feeling that I have to deal with where it's like, when I'm sober, I feel like I'm an apologist. I feel like I am a little less authentic. I feel like I am the guy that remembers how important it is to not be alone. And so that guy's motivated by fear. And that's not a good guy, but that's, a, that's the guy that gets things facilitated. And then there's the other guy, when the cap's off, when, that, when the publicist goes away, the other guy's the real guy. The other guy has actual connection to the mm -hmm. powerful things, and yeah. the other guy gets things done and pays the rent and makes people happy, but 
he don't like he don't like being told what to do. <laughs> and, do you think and he gonna... doesn't give a shit what you think, and he will tell you, and he will roll in his insensitivity like a pig in mud, going like, "This makes me strong." <laughs> Uh, like, like, I don't. I so don't care what you think. I will hold a lighter under my palm. Like, 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 like the guy is like a monster. He's terrible. I hope you never have to meet him. Dan Harmon, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire Radio. Dan Harmon, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. Despite Dan Harmon's objections, this episode we're talking about square pegs. And a recent news story has indicated that even some of our biggest superheroes can sometimes feel like they don't fit in. Here's Courtney Hameister with a report. Last month, the Marvel character Iceman came out as gay in the all-new X-Men number 40. The revelation spawned a flood of new admissions by other superheroes about their true passions and sometimes their foibles. Here's Superman in an online statement over Google Chat last week. For the last few years, I've developed a raging case of vertigo. I can still run really fast, but man, man, if I go up in the air even just a couple of feet, look out! (laughs) Vomit City! And I do not stop for a while. I mean, uh, it's probably because I'm such a terrible alcoholic, but, uh, you know, it's a problem in any case. And it isn't just Superman. Thor has recently admitted studying flute under Jeffrey Kaner and that he occasionally tours with the Fresno Philharmonic under the name Hans Martin Arbuthnot. We asked him, why all the secrecy? Well, people don't respect the flute, all right? Even if I'm holding the hammer, they're all like... Look at his lips. What a delicate little... And you know, I mean... I usually just crush them at that point, so I don't know what the end of this sentence would be, but you see where I'm going with this. So why be honest now? Well, Elizabeth Ostling is the retiring principal flautist from the Boston Pops, and that means that first chair is wide open, and I know Clint Foreman is going for it. But come on, Clint Foreman? Really? That guy? His embouchures are so bad, he could hit a tuning A with a platinum C-sharp trill? Yeah, right. There's no way he could hit that. This is my chance. This is Thor's chance. And I'm taking it. All right, uh... We've also learned that the Green Lantern is colorblind, that Wonder Woman has always wanted to be an insurance actuary, and Spider-Man, well, here he is in his own words from Good Morning America on Friday. Yeah, Matt, it's a little bit embarrassing to admit this, but I've been a staff writer at Two and a Half Men for the last five years. So. You know, Avengers in New York now, beat all my PS4 games, got some time to fill, so, you know, I just tried it. Uh, I also tried my hand as an actor. I was in that Spider-Man thing on Broadway, The Turn Off the Dark, but I don't want to say anything bad, but working with you two really burns you out fast, so... Is public confidence going to be shaken by these revelations? Can we accept our superheroes with all their colors and complexities on the table? We asked a man on the street... Literally a guy standing in the middle of the street for no reason. I mean, no, I mean, they're cool. You know what I mean? I mean, hell, I like to wear my wife's underwear sometimes. Does that make me a bad steam fitter? 
I, I don't think it does. From the middle of the street in New York City, I'm Courtney Hommeister for Livewire. Andrew Harris, Sean McGrath, Jason Rouse. And Courtney Hommeister. It's written here on my little uh, piece of paper in parentheses. Note to Luke. This is the sketch idea we had while we were stoned last month. Not sure if you want to call attention to that or not. Depends on how the sketch goes. So that's how that happened. Would you call our musical guest tonight a supergroup? Well, they're made up of current and former members of some pretty fantastic indie bands like the Decemberists, the Minus Five, Guided by Voices. Their first LP, 854, sounds pretty freaking super, as far as we're concerned. With songs from that super LP, please welcome Eyelids to Livewire. How about that? 
You are, in fact, listening to LiveWire, brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing, this week featuring their Slow Ride Session IPA with hints of melon, peach, and lime, and seven hop varieties. This one is definitely fruity in the front, hoppy in the back. <laughs> More information on how to start your session at newbelgium.com. Hey, if you're planning on being in the Portland area on May 30th and you want to see how we make this year public radio sausage, join us at Rev Hall. We have actress Maria Bello here from ER and a history of violence. Also, Ask Amy columnist and my pal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Amy Dickinson, will be here. Uh, plus, we'll have the host of this amazing new podcast called Death, Sex, and Money, Anna Sale, stopping by, plus music from Sean Rowe. More information at livewireradio.org. Comedian Jackie Cation claims her comedy is like listening to a really racy episode of All Things Considered. <laughs> Which, if you've ever seen a picture of Robert Siegel, is upsetting. <laughs> she also has her own podcast called The Dork Forest, which is friggin' great. She recently appeared on Conan, has a new stand-up special called This Would Make an Excellent Horcrux. <laughs> She's also our second guest in a row from Milwaukee, which is weird. Please welcome... Jackie Cation to LiveWire. There's a band, you guys. I love a band. Hello, Portland. It's, it's so beautiful here. It's where the taxidermist lies down with the vegan Reiki master. And all is understood. It gives me hope for Palestine and Israel. That's what you guys are doing. You're building peace in the whitest, most bearded place ever. <laughs> Who thought there'd be so much peace when everyone agrees uh, with what everyone should look like? Anyway, I don't live here. I love it. I love it here. But uh, I live in Los Angeles, where I am uh, relatively recently married uh, to a man. All very exciting. A lot of people don't know. Um, that's right. Beacon of hope. Beacon of hope. Um, could have been gay. Went to college. It's not like I might not know. Uh, it didn't take. It didn't take. So... But here's my favorite thing. My favorite thing about, I travel sometimes with my husband doing stand-up comedy and recently uh, did an Indian casino outside of Los Angeles because things are going well. And we drive to the Indian casino and my husband says as he packs, as, as we park the car, he says, you know the one thing that makes me sad about Indian casinos? And I said, the one thing? What is it? What's the one sad thing about Indian casinos? And he said, the fact that there's no Native American restaurants at the Indian casino. How great would that be? Native American restaurant at the Indian casino. Wow. You know, as an affluent white couple, if we could just find a couple of Indians and go, could you guys do one more thing for us? Couple of hominy burgers, some fry bread. No, no, I get it, I get it. There's a reason, my fellow Americans, why there are no Native American restaurants at the Indian casino. And it is because we are a melting pot, a pot of meltingness. We take all of our ethnic food and we put it in the melting pot and it brings us closer together. It's very beautiful. And then we do a very American thing where we pick up the melting pot and we put it in the frozen food aisle. <laughs> But I don't know if you know any Native Americans. I do. Lived in Minneapolis for a long time. Largest urban Native American population in the country. Turns out they're not big melters. Do not wish to melt. Still mad. Still mad. 
And I get it, I get it, totally get it. Sympathetic, sympathetic, not supportive. No one is moving. Cause here's what I want them to do. Here's what I want the Native Americans to do is to take all of that rage and put it in the frozen food aisle. Think about the frozen food aisle. Once frozen, it's no longer ethnic food. It's American food once it's been frozen. That's us. A frozen taquito has not seen a Mexican woman in a hundred years. But every six-year-old in the world knows what it is and it brings us closer together and they love them. The frozen food aisle, already a trophy case to American imperialism, my fellow Americans. So here's what I want. That's right, that is right. So the Native Americans take that rage, take it, pour it into a frozen food line, a boxed food line. All the prophets could buy land, you could call it manifest destiny. And every product could be a historical poke in the eye full of rage. It's like, oh, is there some reason you don't wanna buy Trail of Tears mix? Does that make you sad? How about just a case of sitting Red Bull? How about that? Or, or pigs in a smallpox blanket? I have a dozen of these. Sacagaweedies. But here's how I know that it brings us closer together, because it does, because six months ago, I'm talking to an old white guy, and in the course of that conversation, he says to me, have you ever had this pod thai? Have you ever had this Thai food pod thai? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. Have you ever had pod thai? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I had a lean cuisine pod thai. It was real nice. It was like spaghetti, but with peanuts. Yes, it was. That's exactly what it was, my friend. From Lean Cuisine. And then he said, I bet you those Thai people are some real nice Oriental people, those Thai people. And I stared at them for a second, and he goes, I don't think I'm supposed to say Oriental. So we can all be taught. Yeah. And I live in Los Angeles, and my favorite thing about Los Angeles, Portlandians, is that... Uh, <laughs> We are the ones that are making up jobs that employ all of your youth. That's right. Jobs out of nothing, out of poof, out of whole cloth. When I travel and I see a Pilates studio, and I do, all I can think is, you're welcome, we made that up. Pilates isn't real, you guys. California's full of jobs like that. Cutting a cat's toenails should not be a job, but it's a job. And they travel across the earth like a locust. There's ones you haven't seen yet. You haven't seen TaskRabbit. You haven't seen Pink Dot. TaskRabbit will do your errands for you. Pink Dot will deliver anything you want, day or night. Five in the morning, five in the afternoon. I need a box of Pop-Tarts and a Crescent wrench. You'll say, they'll send a man to Walmart. That guy will come over to your house. You'll give him $70. You'll continue to do blow or whatever creepy thing you're doing. That makes it impossible for you to go to a Walmart. But I was trying to think, what wouldn't Pink Dot deliver? If I called him up at three in the morning and I said, I need one bullet. <laughs> Ooh, and a DiGiorno. Bring me a DiGiorno. I like the idea of it being delivered once. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta start your own business, you guys. I've already registered FamilyPetAncestry.com. That one's mine. Eventually, you're gonna wanna know if your cat came over on the Mayflower. You're gonna wanna know if your dog's eligible to join the DAR, the Dogs of the American Revolution. And I'm gonna be there for you. But what's really gonna pay off is when you bring your dog to me at night, at night, in the night, in a strip mall in Los Angeles, it'll all start there. I will watch your dog sleep all night long for $1,000. And in the morning, I will tell you whether your dog has sleep apnea. And I will name that business C-Pup. 
And if your dog does have sleep apnea, I will custom make him a mask that will blow air into his face. And then he will chew that mask because he is a dog. And then I will sell you another mask. Thanks a lot, you guys. Jackie Cation. Thanks. Um, I, I was going to ask you, even before you mentioned it uh, a moment ago, that, that you really do own the website familypetancestry.com. I looked it up today, and it takes me right to your website. It's because it made me laugh when I wrote that joke. I was like, oh, I'm buying it. And then I bought it, and then now all I have, it's a waiting game now, you guys. Yeah. Now it's a waiting game till somebody wants to buy it from me. I found out once that the URL Demon Spit wasn't taken, and I thought that could be an energy drink someday. So I bought it, and then I just redirected it to the YouTube video of a Bruce Willis Seagram's commercial where he's singing on the porch. And then eventually I didn't have $12 to keep it going, so right. it's out there it's again. It's only funny for as long as it's funny, yeah. but it was funny for, the, for those years. Are you? Maybe not even for those years. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit about the Dork Forest. This is the podcast that you do that is... Dork on Dork Dialogue, safest space in Podcastville. You bring your dorkdom, as long as it isn't horrible, as in evil and racist and wrong. I know you think your clan thing is cosplay, but it isn't. It isn't. <laughs> uh, crazy Indianans. Anyway, uh... But what it is, is people talk about what they love a lot. And it can be, and has been, video games and comic books and movies and action figures and all that. But it's also been perfume and bees and A4 paper. And it can What's literally, A4 paper? Uh, it's the paper that everyone else in the world is using. And a guy named Jim Coughlin thinks is fascinating. Everyone in the world who's not us America. in America? Yes. And except the United States. It's the standardized it's paper. It's the metric system of paper? Yes. We're the only ones that use 8.5 by 11. And then everywhere else, it's A4 paper. That's why it's a choice when you do the drop-down menu to pick the size of your paper and the printer. Oh, look for it. No. Y'all just entered the dark forest, Welcome people. Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie Cation, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, guys. You're listening to Livewire, the public radio show that's never really fit in, to be honest. But that's fine. I mean, we're not saying it doesn't hurt a little bit that we were the only ones not invited to that barbecue at Diane Reem's house. Um, four people got that joke. Two of them were Diane Reem. Anyway, we'll be right back. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, now featuring Alaska Beyond Entertainment allowing passengers to watch movies, TV shows, and exclusive content on their own mobile devices. Because Alaska knows, time flies when you're having fun. More information at alaskaair.com slash beyond. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI, Public Radio International. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. Both uh, Jackie and Dan Harmon, uh, along with being from Milwaukee, are also both D&D fans. And um, we're pretty sure at one point in their lives, they've been probably, they've been called nerds. And here to talk about her take on that word, please welcome Livewire's head writer, Courtney Hameister.
1984 when Revenge of the Nerds came out, pretty much everyone you knew, even your jock friends, probably related to the nerds and not the jocks. But at the time, none of us wanted to be considered a nerd. We all wanted to be one of the cool kids. Now, 30 years later, there are hundreds of think pieces with titles like Nerd is the New Cool, Nerd is the New Normal, and Geek Love, Why the Next Generation of Nerds is Rad Now. Now, some people think that it was the invention of the internet that caused the ubiquitousness of the nerd by making technology so universal. But I think it's just that the internet is now just a giant viewable database of humanity. And it's just showing us what was already there. Millions and millions of giant dorks. <laughs> and the first time that I remember seeing anything remotely like all these Nerd is the New Awesome articles was a piece in the Utney Reader 10 years ago. And it claimed that nerds were the new alpha males. And they based their theory on Darwin's, where in prehistoric times, females were attracted to the most physically strong males, because that meant that their children would be able to ward off a saber-toothed tiger attack with their brawn and agility. But now, it's about whether your children will be able to hook up their cable box or create a dating app that can be monetized within two years. So brawn and agility are pointless unless you're in a CrossFit class, and who the hell wants to be in one of those? <laughs> so this new alpha nerd model has given birth to the programmer. These are the wealthy male Silicon Valley programmers that are in their 20s that are taking over the world. They used to be nerds in high school, but now they're so wealthy, they can just buy their high school, name it after themselves, and put their names on all the trophies in the trophy case, <laughs> which is awesome. Which, and it does, it sounds great if it weren't for the fact that some of those who proudly wear the nerd crown today have grown too big for their cargo shorts, to the point where they're the ones being exclusionary and they're sniping at people who they claim aren't passionate or persecuted enough to call themselves real nerds or calling out what they refer to as fake geek girls. And these are supposedly beautiful girls who have never struggled with social awkwardness who now claim to like gaming or D&D in order to appear nerd cool, which is a ridiculous idea. <laughs> Gamers need to know that if someone isn't the type for World of Warcraft or Call of Cthulhu, playing just one game is like being forced to sit through a two-hour sermon in the Church of Small Engine Repair. <laughs> it is interminable, and the only way you'll endure it is if you love it or someone has chained you to a radiator, which would be weird, but some people are into that. So what those exclusionary nerds need to realize is that it's time to just let all of that go because the words geek and nerd are now officially meaningless. At this point, anyone claiming to be a geek or a nerd is pretty much anyone who's ever felt awkward or like they didn't fit in, which is everyone, or anyone who's ever felt overly passionate about something that they feel no one else understands, which is also everyone. Three years ago, Judd Apatow, the creator of Freaks and Geeks, and arguably the most successful comedy writer-director in America, said, in every situation I walk into, I feel like the weirdo, the awkward guy. I feel that way on the set of my own movies. I never feel like I own the moment, even when I'm everyone's boss. At this point, if you've never considered yourself a geek or a nerd, you're probably just an Dan Harmon, who's here tonight, said it best. It's not an ugly word anymore because we are a nation of nerds and we certainly outnumber this mythical creature called the normal person. Think of the relief that we would feel if we all just let go of this desire to be one of the cool kids. If we're all giant dorks, we just need to own it. I say we replace all instances of human, man, or woman in US history with giant dork. 
The Constitution would begin, we, the giant dorks of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. When we landed on the moon, it was one small step for a giant dork and one giant leap for mankind. And finally, to all the nerds who are infighting about who has stars on theirs and who gets to call themselves a real nerd, I leave you with a quote from John F. Kennedy. Giant dorks must put an end to war before war puts an end to giant dorks. Thank you. Courtney Hameister here on Livewire. Really went Ken Burns on that uh, John F. Kennedy quote. Really unearthed something there. All right, one more time. Please welcome back to the stage, Eyelids. She came possessed by bullet starts, shook the bow, stretched to a hot Such a disgrace I know I know When asking who was The sinners and saints Answers could short Eyelids, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire. Well, Jason Rouse, that was that was a really that was a brisk hour. That hour flew by talking about square pegs. Yeah, ch- chock full of I don't know. That was a big show. I um. What'd you learn? Well, I learned something from you. Tonight, Luke Burbank, mm-hmm. host. I'm here. Um, to, I'm here to teach. I too have been thinking about uh, deactivating my Facebook account for a long time. 
But what I learned today is that I will do it, but I just need to remember to reactivate it the night before my birthday. Yeah. Because I, too, love a bright and early mm -hmm. birthday Facebook hug. Yeah. I figured out during that last break that there's no limit to how many Facebook pages you can have technically. Not at all. And people in other countries don't know when my real birthday no is. So it could be like 365 days of glory. You'd be so happy all the time. Yeah. So I, we really took different things away from we did from that you. particular program. Yeah. Well, I also saw some real business opportunities for registering, you know, <laughs> pet medical problem related websites. But I went back and I looked them up on my phone and Jackie Cation has all of them she locked does. down. I've talked to her. We're going to go 50-50 yeah. on some of them. All I found was hamsterretainer.biz. It's the only one that isn't taken. It's the only one that's, that might be good, so we can talk about it okay, later. Okay, we'll work that I've out. I've got cash. All right, that's our show, you guys. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. Our thanks to our guests, Dan Harmon, Jackie Cation, and Eyelids. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom, Dave Jorgensen, and Ben Landsberg. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone, Sean McGrath, and guest writer this week, Caitlin Kunkel. Graham Nystrom is our technical director, house sound by D. Neil Blake. Lighting by Jillian Tabler. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you fine people. For more information about the show or becoming a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. I'll see you next week. PRI Public Radio International. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.